0: Hello and welcome to The Future Report, a podcast hosted by social research company MacRindle for anyone curious about the future. My name is Ashley Fell and each week I'll be sitting down with a guest to discuss a topic or trend that you need to know about. We are officially into a new year and have been actually for a month now already. And I'm not sure about you, but when you realise that 2022 is actually pronounced 2022, uh, I know when I saw that I was a little bit shocked with maybe feeling a little bit scared about how much and especially after all that we've all endured over the last couple of years. However, it is a new year with new trends. And even though predicting the future can be hard, we do have some tips up our sleeve for those who are wanting to understand some of the trends around future uh, trend spotting. So that's all of our uh, topic today, sharing our tricks of the trade with you and looking under the hood a little bit about the mechanics of trend spotting. And joining me today to share his insights on this topic is futurist Mark McCrindle. Hey, Mark, great to be chatting this very interesting topic with you.
1: Great topic, and good to be talking about it with you, Ash.
0: It's very much a Centered on the the what we've called this podcast, the Future Report, and um, it is a really interesting title, even to be as I shared then a futurist. And you and I are introduced at conferences and advisory bookings with that title, as are many of our team as well. Um, We study the future and it's a bit of an unusual title and a bit of an unusual field to be working in. And there can, I guess, with that emerge a lot of misconceptions around that. Um, Is it crystal balling? Is it just our random thoughts about the future? What's that sort of grounded in? We know it's not that. It's not our random thoughts. It's not based on crystal balls. Um, But Mark, I wanted to ask you play a little bit of devil's advocate here. When we say predict the future, can anyone actually predict the future? (laughs)
1: <laughs> Not with certainty, they can't. Except maybe the Simpsons, <laughs> uh, if you believe the memes, because apparently the Simpsons predicted the election of Donald Trump, <laughs> yeah. and even COVID and whatever we go through. Apparently, the Simpsons predicted. <laughs> I saw recently. Apparently, they even predicted the metaverse. So, uh, so maybe, maybe the Simpsons. But realistically, no, we can't because there's uncertainty. There, there's 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 a fog um, as as we look to the future, and particularly as we look further out. But we can prepare for the the future, even if we can't predict it. We can get a sense as to what will impact the future, what will influence the future. In fact, not only can we, we must. I think it's just important for leaders, for organizations, for 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 anyone uh, who's got the ability to impact and bring about change, to look down the road, to look to the horizon and to prepare for what's next. And um, And that's by observing the changes and the trends and some of what we will discuss today, I believe we can prepare for the future and and that's that's an important thing to do.
0: Absolutely. And it really does fit into our philosophy as an organization in terms of understanding the trends um, so that you can shape them in your organization or your your own life. Um, It's really, I guess, our philosophy and it's a very compelling case, I think, that that we make, I believe, and that you make as well, Mark. Around, yeah, the ability, and I think even for many people, even armed with an understanding of how to predict the future, or maybe not predict, but prepare for the future, can make us feel less, hopefully, fearful of change or the unexpected things that we should expect that will come at us over the next year. And the title of this podcast is "How to Spot the Trends." So again, looking under the hood, looking at our sort of tricks uh, of the trade and the mechanics. So, Mark, a pretty pretty broad question for you but how do you spot the trends I mean I remember early on in my days at McCrindle and hearing you share about the future and and the trends I was like wow Um, I mean it's not the Simpsons where you're like this is what will happen but even just the wisdom that comes with that and I used to say to my colleagues do you read do you stay up all night reading every single journal article and newspaper and insight like how do you through a lot of observation um predict the the trends or encounter the trends, spot the trends.
1: We do it from the base of reality, from the base of data and evidence and insights. Now, there are some people that write about the future by making just predictions, guesses, if you like. And that's more the realm of science fiction. And it's amazing when you do read the occasional science fiction book uh, that that someone has predicted key elements uh, of, of, of what we experience. So that can happen, but it's uh, uh, it's not a science, it's guesswork, and that's not the realm that we're in. But by looking at the, the, the data sets, by projecting forward, looking at Trends and trajectories, you can extrapolate and get a sense as to where things are going. So, we look at demographics, for example, and that is predictable numerical change. And you can therefore look at some of these demographic models and model that forward. Uh, We will look at generational change. And again, it's amazing with a good degree of predictability. And as we look back, some level of proof that. What we see emerge in a generation, some of the factors, characteristics, expectations do play out into their consumer world, into their employment world. And we've been tracking generations for a couple of decades now. And so we have that retro look and can see the validation of generational theory in predicting the emerging cohort of consumers and workers. We we look at social trends and we look at, well, if this is how society is, an attitude and expectation, then that's going to lead to this outcome. We know from our work that sentiment predates and is a predictor of behavior, that if we feel uncertain about the economy, we can expect in the next quarter or so for purchasing to go down. Uh, similarly, if people are feeling wealthy, as is often often said, or if they're feeling confident, they will go out and spend or they'll take on greater mortgages. So, so there are a set uh, ways of looking at data, insights, research, generations, demographics, and modeling that forward. And we would say triangulating that forward, uh, a little bit like someone trying to navigate their way in uncertain terrain with a map. Uh, you look at the terrain and you orientate the map based on the terrain. Now, the, the source of truth is not the map. The source of truth is the terrain. And so you look for a landmark and then spot on the map and orient. You you, you take a bearing to an actual landmark you can see in the terrain and you'll do a back bearing and then uh, adjust your map uh, and and uh, triangulate based on the map that you have because of the terrain that you've seen and and obviously hopefully the metaphor is clear that that we look at the terrain in which we operate we look at the real world and then we can map we can model we can triangulate we can get a sense as to where we're going based on those actual observations this is the scientific method it is a a proven methodology, it's social science, and it does not predict exactly where we're going, but it gives with good probability, with high levels of confidence, a a forecast as to how we can prepare for these models that uh, are indicating where we're headed.
0: Mm, And I recall sharing similar sentiments and ideas in presentations and, you know, kind of Playing into people's maybe perceptions or stereotypes of futurists, and you show the crystal ball or the stargazing, and it's not—that's not really what we do. It's more of this. And the next slide is like a, a nerdy-looking person saying, "I love Excel," you know, kind of that self-deprecating humor of of us researchers and us data analysts. It is social science. It is uh, a love of data and a love of insights and using wisdom. And I love what you said there as well around um, the the truth is in the terrain, not the map, and the context in which organisations are operating is is super important and we know that and we believe that. So really interesting and fascinating insights there. And... I've noticed, and I'm sure you have as well, Mark. There's been uh, a bit of more of an interest in futurists over the last um, couple of years, and in people wanting to think about the trends and and organise their thoughts and ideas around the future and how um, they can prepare for what's to come. And I think, if anything, the uh, sorry to say, but the unprecedented—that overused word—these unprecedented times makes that even more um, of an issue. What do you put that down to? That that marked interest in futurists.
1: Mm. Well, exactly as you, you you gave input into, just that we are being smashed with so much change, with with so many trends, uh, with such a shifting terrain in which we operate that that we we say we need to get a handle on this we need to think ahead we need to have some planning and that planning that forecasting that strategizing uh, does require us to understand the reality of our context so let's get some future scene or let's do some trend modeling or let's do some scenario planning so we can get a handle on, on just the volatility of our world. And, and and maybe I'll use that that acronym VUCA, which I'm sure we've heard, but maybe give our own spin to that. Uh, but, but we need to understand the future because of this VUCA reality. The V stands for volatility, the U for uncertainty, C for complexity, A for ambiguity. But I would I would change that up and, and I'd say it's an M A E world. The problem with the VUCA acronym is that the, the, the U for uncertainty and the A for ambiguity, they're synonyms. They're, it's the same stuff. And even volatility, uncertainty, ambiguity, it's sort of the same stuff. Um, I would say there are three factors that drive the future. And the acronym we have is MAE and the M is multifactorial, that there are a multitude and an increasing number of factors impacting the future. So when we look at the megatrends facing us and the interaction of those trends, the complexity of that, it does pull us towards saying, hey, we need to map this out. We need to get a handle on that. And that's the multifactorial uh, reality. It's not just one trend like a new consumer group or an economic uncertainty. It's the global trends, It's the technology trends, the generation ones, all of that coming together. But not only is there an increasing number of factors, the multifactorial, but there's an increasing speed of these factors acting upon us. And that's the A for accelerating Moore's law. I'm sure we know well that says the number of transistors you can fit on a chip doubles every two years. That's, that's a true uh, reality when you look at the exponential growth of the size of chips. but that's just a classic one that's brought up a lot because in so many areas we see that exponential. We see that acceleration, we see that speed of change, the scale of change. and that's the acceleration, not just in technology, in social trends, in 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 global interactions, uh, in economic uncertainty. so so, more factors than ever, coming at us at a faster pace than ever. And the E is expanding. That is our scope. Our context is broader than ever. It's not just the local one. It's a global one. It's not just our industry. It's all of the other industries we now have to be aware of. And so it's multifactorial. That's the M. It's the accelerating. That's the A. And it's expanding. And uh, and that's the, scape, the scope of it, the scale of it. And and I was thinking about my uh, young boys who love playing on video games. And I think about any video interaction I had when I was young and what a transformation it is because they're multiplayer games online with mics, talking to others, uh, obviously the the graphics and the interaction are, are next level. Um, I had a little space invaders game, a handheld thing. Um, okay. And, and, and as you think about space invaders for a moment, it's a good metaphor because it has those three factors. It, as you, level up, it gets harder because there are more of those space invaders coming towards you and they're coming towards you at a faster rate. And and then if you expand the terrain from just that little screen to a broader screen, and you've got not just one screen, but many screens to monitor, that's if you like the expanding scope that we have now to respond to. And that's a little metaphor for why we're struggling to keep up with it all and why we say, give us a map of the trends, give us some some direction about where we're going, give us some confidence as we strategically plan and help us understand the many factors, the greater speed and the expanding scope uh, so that we can prepare for what's next.
0: Yeah, that's incredible uh, insight there, Mark. And I guess what you were sharing earlier as well, it makes sense with that um, VUCA world that we're living in and also the MAE, the multifactorial, accelerating, expanding world, it's really understandable that people are a bit fatigued by that world or apathetic maybe towards the need to respond to it. And although we empathize with that sentiment, we know and we believe and we encourage in our presentations and advisory that leaders can't just have that Um, sort of sit in the sand and wait it out. We've got to respond. We've got to shape those trends. We've got to be active in that. And hopefully our work and our insights and spotting of these trends and sharing of these trends in this podcast and in events that we host all helps that. But um, yeah, it's interesting, even the gaming um, analogy that you mentioned there. I mean, I was thinking about my experience growing up and my favorite game to play was Crash Team Racing on the PS2 with my brother. And it was just interesting on the weekend, I was um, talking to my niece and nephew uh, and my nephew is um, eight years old and he was t- telling me all about Minecraft and his mum said... You know, uh, tell Arnie Ashley about what you're doing in computer lessons. And I was like, oh, here we go. Like, uh, computer lessons for me kind of only came into the world like when I was in like year three or something. And that was, it had a computer room where all the computers were housed, massive at the time. He's like, yeah, we talk, we learn about coding and, and sometimes we program the robots. And we also learn about like online bullying. And it's just, it's, yeah, it's, it's amazing when you think about what we experienced, what your generation experienced versus what the next generation who are coming through are already experiencing and really. Really highlighting elements of that VUCA world and really multifactorial and certainly accelerating. Um, and Mark, I'd be interested to hear what you think about, I guess, some of the, the blockers or the blind spots or the fallacies that maybe stop us from better observing the trends. I think maybe oftentimes we go, okay, I'm convinced that I can't just uh, sit there and be apathetic, I need to respond, but are there things that stop people or stop us as humans from observing the trends and responding to the changes that we see?
1: Yeah, there are a number of these and that's why, you know, a discussion like this is so important because we don't want to just give people the trends. We want to help our listeners develop their own disciplines, overcome their own blockers and implement some systems so that they can understand, observe and prepare for for trends in their context and their world uh, and that's what's key. And one of those limitations we have is is a limited lens. You know, we we, we just don't take a, a broad enough view of the world. Maybe uh, we don't look back far enough. We just are basing our forward preparedness based on what we've most recently experienced. The recency fallacy, and and we forget what has happened a little while back that of course can come back once more. Um, maybe our, our lens is limited just because we're looking at our context, not realizing that if it's happening over there, it's going to impact here. And if it um, has a, 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 a an impact with with uh, a younger generation, even though they're not yet in our target market, it will impact us as they move through that life stage of development. So, so expanding the. Lens lens of time, expanding the lens of factors. Um, uh, I mean, expanding the lens of of a sophistication, we, we often have a, a false dilemma. We we're faced with a, a situation and we say, well, we can either do this or we can do that. And rarely is anything one or the other, black and white, you know, mm. dichotomous. There's there's infinite options. Uh even this uh, building that we're in actually um, on the strata, there's been discussion recently about up Grading the lifts because they're quite slow, and uh, and the discussion is well, it's going to take a couple hundred thousand dollars to replace the lift. So we either spend the money replace them or we just live with it. Well, it's not just two options. That's uh, a false dilemma. There's infinite options, uh, but 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 you know we often think well that's that's the sum total of it. In fact, uh, Edward de Bono, famous lateral thinking guy, would always think of of other ways you know not just logical but but almost this this lateral approach to decision making and he was once faced with the exact same situation he was asked to come into a building and give advice and it was the same thing they had these these slow lifts and they were told it was going to take millions to replace them and he said well I can probably fix up the problem the slow lift problem with just a few hundred dollars and they were incredulous how's he going to do it and he installed a mirror in the lift and they never again got complaints about the slowness of the lift because everyone was too busy uh, preening and preparing for for the meeting, as they looked in the mirror, uh, oh, I'm here already. And if we've been in a lift with a mirror, or indeed even better, a lift with a <laughs> with glass and a view, as uh, you know, I know you say at hotels with with those, and I have too. Uh, the problem is that the lift ride is too quick; it's over too soon because we're enjoying that. So it's often not about. What we think it is—it's about changing the frame of reference. It's about expanding the lens. It's about thinking through broader solutions and thinking about all the tools we have and and and, and expanding from this limited view. There's a classic um, photo I saw on the internet of uh, of some fellow at a. Baseball game or something, and the sun's in his eyes, and he's he's holding up his hands, shielding his eyes, not realising that he is wearing a baseball cap on backwards, um, <laughs> and he's also got sunglasses on the back of his head, <laughs> two forms of blocking the sun, but he's forgotten about it, and he's using his hand. you know, and, and we, we laugh, but we're all like that, you know, we forget what we've experienced, we forget yeah. what access we've got. Uh, around and we we forget the options available. So so probably that limited lens is a big one. Uh, Maybe another one is just the obsession with radical change. We're always looking for that transformative thing or we're trying to prepare to shield ourselves from the big economic meltdown or the pandemic or whatever the massive thing might be. And we map out our scenario planning with these big risks in mind, where actually it's the smaller and gradual change that is predictable and that often will have more impacts than just the big ones. We often talk about observing the waves so that you can surf the wave and the waves that come our way by way of trends are important to observe, but so are the tides. Uh, That's the other thing that changes the water. Uh, not just the waves that come here and there, but the tide that is always flowing one way or the other. And actually, that's what the Bodies need to keep an eye on: the tides, not the waves, uh, because that can be their undoing. So incremental change, being observed, uh, aware of, and observing the slow trends uh, in, in Australia. We, we focus on generational change or demographics, or even debt levels in this nation is a big thing at the moment. That that maybe it's very slow and 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 it's not exciting to focus in on but actually is is very transformative maybe a third blocker uh, just to round this out uh, is is just forgetting the timeless human impacts so we have discussions about the future and is my job going to be replaced by a robot or um, can we trust technology in the future uh, what about if technology takes over we, we almost feel that that we're victims to the technology and and the like but of course, We live in a human-centric world where humans create the technology and implement it and buy it and pay for it. And and all of that to say, let's not forget the human centricity in all of this. And even though something is possible technologically or is possible from a trend uh, exploration or or, or, um, extrapolation, um, it doesn't mean that it's going to happen because the water will find its level back to what humans want and need. And that's where we see the counter trend, not just things heading in one way. We see a recorrection. We see roundabouts, not just one-way streets. Uh, and, And so understanding the timeless human needs and drivers, the power of humans to shape their environment, to respond to changes or trends, is something we ought not forget. And, and let's not think that we're just victim to uh, a model that that might play out because um, you know, as some of the forecasters in the past said, pre-automobile, oh, we're going to be up to our knees in horse manure with the growth of population and horse-drawn transportation, not realizing the motor car would come and transform all of this. So so we have a way of solving problems, of, of shifting these realities, and things don't just head one way. And the human-centric view is important to prepare for the future.
0: Wow. Those uh, insights are really fascinating. And as, as you were sharing those and those great analogies that Go along with them and the metaphors. I was just reflecting, and I was like, "Wow, I'm s- even me, a futurist who works in this er- this field. I feel like I am prone to doing that sometimes, especially the false dichotomy thing. Like, oftentimes I'm like, it's either this or this, and then you explore the issue more or, or the different factors that are at play or the different trends, and you go, actually, it's more complex than that. Um, and even yeah, the limited lens is something that I'm sure all of us do. How quickly we forget um, lessons of the past and things like that, and maybe even some of those inherent biases that that um, predispose us to looking at something through a certain lens. So, Mm. yeah, really fascinating um, insights into human behaviour there, Mark. (laughs) Amazing. And I think um, some of this is really sort of prefacing something that we've been working on over the last couple of weeks. Uh, We are in a new year, 2022. Can we we believe it? (laughs) And I think for us, uh, we've been having a few meetings internally with you, Mark, and with other um, advisors in our organisation around what we believe the next year could hold uh, with with using all of these um, mechanics that you've mentioned and ways of trend spotting and, and keeping those blind spots in check and those blockers that sometimes we're prone to as humans to look at um, and hopefully help equip organisations and leaders and people with an understanding of what trends are going to play out over the next year. And it's been really fascinating. Of course, everything we do here is with human research, social science, um, exploring behaviours, sentiment, attitudes, some of those bigger trends that are at play. And- For me, one of the most interesting ones that we've been talking about and very much a buzzword over the last um, six months is the metaverse that Mark Zuckerberg obviously announced and a few people with the skepticism of if this is just a rebrand for Facebook, but actually is a lot more than that and um, been doing some research into that. And one of the quotes I came across from Mark Zuckerberg was the the metaverse is the internet that you are inside of rather than just looking at and this idea that we're whether virtual and the physical world is meaning and it's web 3.0. And I guess for us, we're, we're questioning, is it a buzzword or what does that mean for, for brands and organizations and especially the next generation who are in many ways already participating in elements of the metaverse um, or prototypes of it with games or applications like Roblox or Minecraft or Fortnite where they really have these virtual avatars and virtual worlds. And yeah, even your point there about the impact on us um, with regards to the next generation, we as adults, I think, because we expect to know elements of our world, they're already in the metaverse as an example and they're they're growing up in, it and it's shaping them. And by the time they reach us, they'll be like, oh, yeah, of course. Like, of course I play with my avatar and all of a sudden we're trying to wrap our heads around that. So the future is uh, coming at us. The future in many ways is already here. And the metaverse has been one really interesting trend that we're predicting for 2022 in terms of just increased awareness, increased um, consumer and and brands sort of getting on board and exploring that sort of next iteration of the web. And we're going to unpack more of these trends in our next episode of the podcast. But I did want to ask you, Mark, to give our listeners maybe a little bit of a preview in light of the fact that we've just divulged how we spot some of the trends, some of the tips and tricks of the trade. Uh, Could you give our listeners maybe a little bit of a preview into one of the trends that we've called relational fitness? What do you see happening there? with regards to that over the next year.
1: Yeah, well, that's one of the eight trends that we've looked at and, and you've been researching as well and discussing very articulately and I encourage all our listeners to either come to our virtual events or, or download some of that content about those eight trends. They're pretty important. The, the relational fitness one is highlighting, firstly, the importance of our relationships, and that has been brought to light with data through this pandemic as we've seen that while we can work well from home and productivity has been good socially it's had impacts from a human experience perspective it's had some challenges we felt more isolated people have felt more anxious uh, there's been a sense that we haven't had our well-being uh, as as uh, well-honed because we are working from home or studying from home we can learn from home students can get through that content well, but they can't necessarily grow holistically as a person without that interaction in a classroom, on a campus and with their peer group. So it's a reminder of the importance of relational and social interaction. We need some level of fitness there. But secondly, it it highlights this analysis that if we don't keep exercising that social muscle we can as it were atrophy uh, our comfort zones shrink and we've picked this up with our research where a, a significant proportion of Australians now in fact the majority in our recent studies say that they are less feel less socially adept They find that they're more distracted in conversations when they're face to face. They find that they feel more fatigued after going out and interacting with others. And they just don't feel as natural in organizing events or in interacting with others socially as they used to. And that's, I guess, like any muscle that we don't exercise. Uh, We do have to build back up to it. Uh, when we've put that that muscle on pause and it's obviously true we now know, uh, not just in the physical sense, but the relational and the emotional sense. And and that expressed itself and it's understandable after lockdowns, firstly because as we start to emerge back out, we we're not sure what the social norms now are. Is it hugs or handshakes or is it fist bumps still or just standing back and saying hi? And and there's anxiety around larger groups and particularly indoors. And indeed, beyond that, there's just a, a sense of 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 uh, how do I. Uh, really interact with these people? How do I reacquaint myself with people that I haven't caught up with for a while? Or how do I continue to develop my social network so that I do have that strength of connection and belonging and interaction? After such a long time of lockdown and new ways of interacting, particularly through the digital. So I found that trend fascinating. I found the data compelling and ensuring that we move back into this world of relational fitness, gear ourselves up, not get back straight out for the for the marathon when we've been in, in hibernation for a while, you know, gearing back up to the social interaction, but importantly placing a priority on it, because otherwise. That comfort zone can shrink further and further. Uh, We know that with with any muscle area. And ultimately, we can lock ourselves down more, increasing social anxiety, shrink that comfort zone, uh, perhaps even uh, avoid that social interaction. And that's not a healthy cycle for anyone to get onto. And that's true at an individual level and a community and societal level. So we will need to work on building, growing, shaping, facilitating that social and relational connection in the years ahead to get back to relational fitness.
0: Yeah, it's, it's absolutely so relevant for all of us and especially for younger generations who've lived um, a lot of their life in this world of social isolation and almost in some ways fearing other people, being really sceptical with because we're trying to protect ourselves and our health and those vulnerable. So it makes sense. But yeah, it's almost that a couple of years ago we were talking about FOMO, fear of missing out. Now it's almost fear of going out and that's a yeah. justified fear, absolutely. But like you said, Mark, with a lot of clarity there that it, it, it does mean we need to be intentional about working up to that and maybe having grace with ourselves in that process. But um, yes, it has been a really interesting time. Um, but hopefully 2022 allows us more opportunities to flex that muscle that we know is really important. So yeah, well, I can't wait for um, our virtual event that you alluded to where we're going to be divulging a lot about each of these eight trends and some new research and some new s- slides. Uh, so if anyone is interested in attending that, feel free to get in touch with us and we can direct you to that further. But um, yeah, really exciting, really great time topic thank you so much for the chat today mark thanks ash and if you are enjoying the podcast we would love for you to leave us a review and of course to be up to date with all of our latest episodes you can subscribe on apple podcasts or on spotify uh, and spotify also has the, re- the video recordings as well as we put them on youtube uh, and to stay up to date with our latest insights at mccrindle you can always subscribe to the podcast and also follow us on social media uh, so once again thank you for listening and bye for now